Well, this morning, we're in, we're in Jonah, the Gospel of Jonah. I mean Jonah. We're in Jonah. There is, there is a Gospel, but Jonah. We're in Jonah in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And just to give you a heads up, over the next uh, four times that I'll be delivering a message, we'll be looking at each chapter in the book of Jonah. So today we're in Jonah chapter 1, and in two weeks we'll be in Jonah 2, and so on and so forth, the book of Jonah. And there's a lot for us to learn. I'm not going to pretend, as always, as we know, and Pastor Dan will tell you too, we're not going to pretend to do an exhaustive sermon on all the depth of what's in even the first chapter of Jonah. I mean, there is so much there. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to miss things today. And that's on purpose. Because, and you'll be thinking like, well, yeah, but what about that? I thought if you already know the word and if you've read about Jonah and just the application it has with the connection to Christ and salvation and different things, I, I didn't forget about it. I just can't include it all, right? And, and I have a different point. I'm trying to get at one point today. So we're going to make sure we can focus on that. And this morning, if I would entitle chapter one, it's basically chapter one should just be called Wrong way, Jonah. Wrong way, Jonah, right? So I, I've shared with some of you, uh, one-on-one or in person in different contexts, when uh, Sharon and I were working at the Bible school in Barrington at Zion Bible College, we, which is North Point Bible College now, we, um, about the second or third year in, so like 18, 19 years ago now, it's crazy, right? It's a long time ago, oh my word. Woo! It seems like yesterday, and then it seems like a lot longer. But anyway, so I, they had an intramural um, basketball league for the students. They had, and, and for staff and faculty, whatever. And so I, I played. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a great player. I had fun. I tried hard. And, you know, it is what it is. So I was playing as one of the faculty there. Um, in fact, even uh, Pastor Don, who uh, he was at the church here at New Hope, he, he played at, in that league as well. And so we were, we were playing, and... Um, one of, one of our, my teammates, he was going to the basket, and he got fouled, right? So he gets free throws, right? Two free throws. It's a shooting foul. He gets two free throws. And we're all lined up in the key by the, you know, waiting for the free throw on the line. We're waiting. And um, our teammate shooting makes the first one. And then he, he throws up the second one, and he misses. And somehow, by God's divine intervention, I had springs in my calves. And I grabbed that rebound. I couldn't even believe that I got that rebound. And when I got that rebound, it was like I was in a different world. And I started running. And I was blown away that as I'm running, I'm running faster than anyone else. There's no one around me. And I'm about 10 feet away from laying it in for two points. And my team all of a sudden hear, Bob, wrong way, wrong way way oh my goodness i was and thank you lord that i heard them because i would have given them two points i went the wrong way and in that moment and listen this is an example and it's not a good feeling of going the wrong way it was by accident it was by accident but what we have in Jonah chapter 1 is a character, a man, a man of God, the Bible calls him, who intentionally, who deliberately went the wrong way. After God said, do A, he said, no, I'm going to do Z. On purpose and rebelliously, he says, no way, I'm not going that way, God, I'm not doing it. It was all intentional. Now listen, we have all gone the wrong way in our lives in different ways. And some of us, 
We do it accidentally because sometimes, and I say accidentally, but it isn't deliberate because we are so caught up in this life. We're so entangled, and I do use that word intentionally, in the affairs of this life and stuff that's going on and things that we're overwhelmed with that we, we just we lose sight of where we're supposed to be going and we end up going the wrong way. We do. Sometimes things happen, like me, to my shock. I was blown away that I even got a rebound, and I forgot where I was. It was like a miracle, and I went the wrong way. And I went the wrong way. Jonah goes the wrong way. So let's read chapter 1 of Jonah. I know it's 17 verses, but I do want to read it. It is God's word, and I think it's important that we hear it. And then we'll go through, and I'll comment as we go through the chapter, and hopefully with God's help, Pass on the point this morning that I believe God wants us to get and remind us. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. I love that name, Joppa. I think it's so cool where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord, in verse 4, sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and he said, How can you sleep? Wake up, get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. little comment here, and I won't say anything else about it. We do find these kinds of things in Scripture. These were pagan sailors. They did not believe in the one true God. They were involved in practices that were ungodly. And they're casting lots. They're doing things that God doesn't necessarily approve of. Yes, it's in the Bible, but God doesn't approve of it. But God is so great, and His plan is so it will not be changed or thwarted, as I mentioned earlier. And, and God still uses it somehow for his ends and his glory. You see that throughout Scripture. Just because they cast lots doesn't mean that God approves necessarily of that activity. And so in verse 8, they ask him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you even come from? What is your country and From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of... It's kind of funny he says, I worship the Lord in this situation. Anyway, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Another question. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so, the Bible says. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. 
I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Yeah, it was Jonah. And in 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Notice the change. where It's not a little G God, but to the Lord, all in caps. Oh Lord, oh Lord, they said, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. And verse 17 finishes, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. According to 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 5, a historical account of the nation of Israel and the goings-on, if you will, Jonah was a prophet of the Most High God. It was his job, it was his responsibility even, I would say, to listen to the Word of God and then to communicate it to the people. Much of what he would communicate would be drawing people back into a right relationship with their God, their Creator God. He would have called people to obedience to their God. And that's exactly what's going on here. Even though this is about Nineveh and to Nineveh that he has to do, there's a bigger picture here. And actually, if you read Nahum, the book after, Nahum is actually like part two of Jonah. All right? You should read that too. It's, it's not long and it's very interesting. A lot, of, a lot of interesting things in there. But this time, Jonah is the one who is called to obedience by God. He's been used to telling, he's heard from God, and he's telling people, the Israelites, what God wants them to do, how they should turn from their ways, the paths they should take. But this time, he's called to obedience, and Jonah cannot swallow his own medicine. God's medicine, but he can't do it. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. Wrong way, Jonah. Goes away from the Lord and heads for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. He pays the fare and he goes aboard and he sails for Tarshish. The Bible says again, to flee from the Lord. See, unlike Jonah's other assignments from God, which so far, they've all been local, if you look at the history, within Israel, in other words, this one requires that Jonah goes overseas to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was a powerhouse in that region historically, and especially during Jonah's time. A powerhouse nation. You don't mess with them. They were, it's important to note that Assyria was also Israel's enemy. It's important in the context here. They were Israel's enemy. And the prophet Nahum, as I mentioned earlier in chapter 3, he describes the wickedness, the ferocity, and the brutality of the Assyrians. Bottom line is they weren't nice people. They were not a nice people. It's not a friendly nation or a friendly city. And I mean, going to Nineveh, even in Jonah's day, it's not like, you know, if you're planning your family vacation, it's not like on your top ten list, hey guys, why don't we go to Nineveh for a week this year? 
It's not like that because it would be the same as saying, hey, guys, you know what? Hey, Sharon, Preston Cohen, you guys want to get away? We can go somewhere warm. We like warmth. Let's go to Kabul, Afghanistan for a week. That's where we're going to go for our vacation. No, I'm not exaggerating. Actually, it was even worse. It was not pretty, not good, not safe, and there was all kinds of crazy things that were going on. That's exactly what the, what the context is here when, when Jonah's dealing with this. And this is, again, in fact, if you look at Assyria, it's a nation that eventually, historically, invades and destroys Israel in 722 B.C. And you can find that also in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 17. And it's, listen, it's to this group of people, this nation, this enemy nation that God calls Jonah to go to. I don't know what I would do, man. Because, I mean, Nineveh, really, when you look at it on the map now, it's, it, it's, it's what's now northern Iraq. And it's basically, in Jonah's time, the edge of the then-known world. I mean, it's going way out to the edge, especially going east that way. And Jonah, he shows up at the docks of Joppa, and he says, I'd like a ticket, and I want to go to the furthest place a ship will take me from right here. That's where I want to go. And he was trying to run from God. God's talking and Jonah's saying, if I go further away and if I just keep going, la, 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 I won't hear anything. That's what he was trying to do. He was, and that's what he did. Have you ever done that? Think it personal. Have you ever done that? I see one person saying, yes, you guys are all so righteous. No, we know we've all done that. You know, you know that God is calling you to a specific thing. Even in here, and you've read it, it's something specific. And it's crystal clear. There's no arguing. It says black and white, and there's no way to misinterpret or misunderstand what's going on there. And you hear it. And, but, but out of fear, or maybe out of rebellion, you become wrong way Bob. You become wrong way... Eugene, you become wrong way Ross. Whatever your name is, you fill it in. You go the opposite way on purpose, deliberately, like, like, like this. And I've shared this with some of you too, because we joke around about it, but in, in different studies or groups we've had, it's like when you're in the store, the grocery store, and, and you walk by and you happen to see somebody that you really don't want to talk to for different issues, and you know they haven't seen you, so then you go two aisles over, and then you pretend that even though you're not a baker, you care about every baking ingredient on the planet in that aisle for 10 minutes until you know they're far away. Have you ever done that? Oh, come on. I know you have. Because I have. I'm not proud of that, but I've done that. Right? Sometimes it is for our own good, I think. But, but we've all done that. We've all done that. God's call on your life might not be to a place as dangerous as Nineveh, but it is all, it's a call all the same. For example, it might be a call to change your behavior, 
But instead, you do everything you can to avoid the topic. Maybe it's a call to be more public with your faith. But instead, you keep your light under the bushel that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. Maybe it's a call to forgive someone for harm they have done to us, but instead you avoid them at all costs, all the time, in order to keep your grudge. You're a grudge master. Maybe it's a call to to quietness and prayer. But instead, you fill your life with really, really important busy things. Maybe it's a call to a specific ministry, whether in the church or outside, or the use of your spiritual gifts and things that God has enabled you with. Because some things I do, you can't do, and some things you do, I can't. And we all have a part, right? The Bible teaches us that. And it's a call to use them. But instead... You put it on the back burner until a more opportune time. You know, let me give you an example. I mean, when's the most opportune time to serve God? Sorry, Dennis, I'm walking around. You got the camera, but I can't stay still. When is the most opportune time to serve God? Oh, when you're young and you have energy and you're a teenager and all, you know, the responsibilities. And, and, and so we, we, we say that. And then, then all of a sudden, wait, 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 we put that off. And eh, I'm nervous. I don't know. I'm too young. Then all of a sudden, you go to college and you have college and your schedule is through the roof. You have like two seconds to breathe in your day. No opportunity to serve God. Then all of a sudden, you get married. And when you get married, you've got to take care of your wife or your spouse. And all of a sudden, that, take, that consumes everything. And all of a sudden, I'm going to keep putting it in the back burner. Oh, I've got kids now. Forget it. I can't do anything. Then all of a sudden, the kids grow up. I've got grandkids. I can't do anything now. Oh, oh, retirement's here. And I'm in the middle of it. And I've got to do something. I gotta, now I've got to do things I didn't do all my life because I did all those things. And so I'm going to wait. I'm not going to serve God and use my gifts. When is the opportune time? I'm just going to say right now, just forget it. Don't give me any excuses. That's fine. You can do something, and God's calling us. That's a, that's a side thing. But don't put it on the back burner. Maybe God's calling you to that. Or maybe it's just simply a call into a deeper relationship with God through Jesus because you've been kind of like eh, on the margins and just on the fringes. But instead, Instead of going deeper in your relationship with God, you throw yourself into the things of the world even more. What Jonah forgets, and what we forget too, is that you can't run from God. You can't. You see, Jonah knows in his head, and he even tells the sailors on the ship in verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Listen, if God is the creator of all that there is, it's not like you're going to be able to leave town on him without him knowing. That is not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen. I mean, we all know Psalm 139, and we love that scripture. We find it as a source of comfort. But it should also be as a, as a source that stirs up fear and challenges inside of us. In verse 7, where the psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question because then he gives you descriptors of where those places might be, but the answer is nowhere. You're not running from God. God got, he's got your number. He knows who you are, and he sees everything about you. And when he's called you, he's not letting go. Oh, man, he loves you too much. Even when you are wrong way 
and you fill in your name. Even wrong way Bob, God still loves when he goes the wrong way on purpose. Believe it or not. See, God gives Jonah a very clear command. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. It's a message of judgment. It's not like, it's just, listen, bad stuff's coming because you guys are terrible and evil. And Jonah knows what God wants. He knows what God desires of him. He perfectly understands what God has called him to do. God's instructions are clear, and he disobeys. Why does Jonah disobey God? He's a man of God. And here are some possible reasons for Jonah's disobedience. First, perhaps he was afraid. Fearful for his life even. Nineveh was the Assyrian capital. It was violent. It was brutal. It was a great city. Chapter 3 and verse 3 in Jonah says that it takes three days journey to cross across the city. That's how big of an area the city was. And historians say there was 120,000 people that lived in it. It had walls and places that were 100 foot wide. And those walls were so wide, you can go three chariots wide across them. Then inside those walls, there are gardens and cattle and pastures. The city was huge and it was set up incredibly, amazingly, amazing setup. Perhaps Jonah thought to preach against Nineveh was a suicide mission. So he runs away. But the word of God does not tell us that he was fearful, does it? It doesn't. So maybe, secondly, maybe Jonah, he obeyed, disobeyed God because he thought that it was a lost cause. You know, like 120,000 people, God, and you're telling me to go, and, and these people want to destroy me. And I'm going to go tell them that you're going to destroy them? They, I, I, I'm not going there. It's a lost cause. What difference can I make? Will my voice make a difference at all? Who would listen to me? It's a city of unbelieving idol worshipers who are interested in more about commanding and conquering other people and nations than they were in God. And so he runs away. But again, the Bible does not tell us that Jonah thinks it's a lost cause. I think he might have thought that, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. Thirdly, maybe Jonah thought that the message was too severe and harsh. Too severe and harsh. Now now we're getting somewhere. If we start taking the first two things that Jonah might have gone through, and now this third one, and it, it has such application to us today. Because the message of the gospel, as beautiful and as sweet and as saving as it is, it's harsh. Get right with God or you die. Oh, that's so mean, Pastor Bob. We're supposed to be loving and compassionate and we've got to be gentle. Yes, we do. But we are called to tell the truth as God says it. And we do it in love, but we don't cut corners. You don't have to help God with his word choice. He meant what he said. Yes, we do our part with our attitudes and, and with the Spirit of God guiding and directing us, but we don't, we don't, we don't have to help God with that. But maybe he was there, and, he's, and he said, it's a hard message. There's no way I'm going to go out and tell him how wicked Nineveh is. I'm a dead man if I do that. And he, and he wasn't too excited about preaching fire and brimstone, especially to the Assyrians, and he runs away. But again, the Word of God does not tell us that Jonah was unhappy with the message itself doesn't tell us that. But there is one reason in particular that I do believe why Jonah did not want to go 
to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. You know what it is? He despised the Ninevites. Yes, he did. What? What are you talking about, Bob? No way. He despised the Ninevites. In fact, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they despised. They did. I'll be nicer. They did not like the Assyrians at all. Do you know why? Because they were constantly bullying them historically. They were constantly causing problems and conquering. In fact, it's even it's brutal what happens and, and some of the things that go on, I can't even describe to you because it's not fit to do that in this context of the things they did to the Israelites and other nations. And they did it repeatedly. I don't think you would like them. And then in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 15, the king of Assyria invades the land and in order to keep him from killing everyone in Israel, the king of Israel, of all people, makes a deal with, with him. And he makes every wealthy Israelite pay 50 shekels of silver to appease the king of Assyria. They were despised. And they didn't like the fact that they had to give their hard-earned money to these people just to stay in their own land. And so when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach, Jonah must have said, forget it. I can't stand those people. They're a bunch of evil brutes. Even if they listen to a message and repent of their sins, they don't deserve the opportunity. If they repent of their sins, knowing you, God, you'll probably be nice to them and forgive them. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm not going to heck with it. I'm not doing it. These are all possible reasons why Jonah runs away, but you'll have to wait to chapter 4 to find out the real reason why he runs away, all right? Today, what you and I need to pay attention to is that Jonah was a man of God who hears God's word clearly and disobeys it. Now, there are sermons, and they have their place, and we make application and comparisons to Jonah being a picture of salvation and Jesus being in the tomb for three days when he's in the belly of the fish and all these other um, types and things, and that's fine. It's all good. But I want you to remember the context is this. Jonah is a believer in the one true God, and he disobeys. Of course, as believers today, we don't do that. We always obey, right? So there's no application. There's no relevance here. So amen, let's go home. No, this is here because the point of chapter 1 is that a godly man disobeys God's clear commands. But God's command is so clear and his heart is so for, so for people and his love is so strong for people that not all is lost because Jonah is so disobedient. Hallelujah! Praise God for that. The person, but this is the thing, the person who runs away from the Lord, maybe it's you, maybe it's me in different parts of our life, is the one who is refusing to serve God in the task that he knows God is calling him to do. And that's what Jonah is doing. He is refusing to serve God even though he knows what God's word says. God might not have called you to go to Nineveh. He probably didn't, by the way. And Jonah, as he goes, points, paints a picture that, that human nature does not change. 
Time and time again, you see in our relationship to God the same scene played out here. The same blood that runs through Jonah's veins runs through ours. We share the same spiritual ancestry going back to Adam and Eve. And there's a rebellion, there's a questioning. God, did you really say, no, I don't want to do that, I'm going to do my own thing. Wrong way, Bob, here he goes. Wrong way, Adam and Eve, there they go. And Jonah does it again. It's no surprise when you think about it that Jonah, the man of God, disobeys God's word. See, because Jonah is the Old Testament equivalent of a Bible-believing Christian. He is orthodox and evangelical in his theology. When we read chapter 2, when he's praying in the belly of the whale, we'll do that in two weeks, you'll see just how much he understands about God. It's pretty impressive. Yet, he refuses to obey God's word. Listen, you can know the truth about God, and yet you can disobey God. It's a very sobering lesson, and it shouldn't surprise you. We all do it. Like Jonah, we don't always go God's way. We refuse to serve him. We don't want to obey him, and we do our own thing. Our natural tendency is to run away from God, not to God. That's why we sing songs like we do. I'm running to you. All I want is you. Because we've got to tell our spirit. We know God. We love him. And we want more of him. And we go. We've got to do it. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak, right? Jesus said that. That's why we do that. But our natural tendency is not to run to God. It's not. We're battling the two natures while we're here on this earth. We hear the word of God. We know the character of God. We know what it means to be faithful. To do what is right. To live God's way, to have the right priorities and goals in life, and yet, again, we avoid it. We make excuses. We will not listen. We choose to go the wrong way. I want to read something from a commentator, and I'm just going to quote him. And I don't even, actually, I don't know if it's, I think it's McGee, but and he, and he, he says this very interesting thing. And he says, a lot could be said about you know, when Jonah went to buy the, the ticket. And he views Jonah as going to buy a ticket to go to Tarshish. And and he went down to buy the ticket, and perhaps he was wondering if he was in God's will or not. He should have known he wasn't, but a lot of us say that we wonder whether we are or not. He was standing in line to buy a ticket, and the ticket agent said to the man right ahead of Jonah, I'm sorry, but the space is all sold out on the ship to Tarshish. And Jonah was about to turn away when the phone rang, and the ticket agent answered it. A Mr. Goldberg was calling to say that he was in the hospital, having suddenly taken sick, and he would not be able to make the trip. So Jonah waited, and the ticket agent turned to him and said, Brother, are you lucky? I've just had a cancellation. And Jonah must have thought, I sure feel lucky, man. I feel more than that. Maybe this means I'm in God's will. How many Christians think like that today? If they're having a difficult time, they say, oh, I'm out of the will of God. If things are going easy and everything works out well, they say, oh, I must be in the will of God. My friend, he says, I am of the opinion that if you are having problems, it may be that the devil is getting a little uneasy because you are growing and proving effective for God. I have found this to be true in my own ministry, he says. Just because you're having trouble does not mean you're out of the will of God. But it could be. But it could be. 
We find all kinds of ways to run from God. God is so interested in using Jonah. He's interested in using you. And we're going to wrap it up in a minute here. That he pursues us and we try to run away. God, not Satan, the Bible tells us in our text. He sends that storm. And this is the case because he wants Jonah. Not someone else. He wants Jonah. That's his plan to go to Nineveh and Jonah's going to go. Listen, running has its consequences. Some of you know that firsthand. You know that. Running has its consequences when you run from God and go the wrong way. Because here's the thing. I have a question from you. When do you stop? When, are you, when do you stop? For most of us, we don't until God brings something and he stops us. And thank God he does because he cares for us. And he loves us and he has a plan. Because when we run and we're disobeying God, it always affects us. And it also affects those around us. You know how I know? Just check out the sailors. They're freaking out. They are. And while all this is going on, where's Jonah? Sleeping away. Not a care in the world. Not thinking about anything. But that he got lucky and got on this ship and he's running away from God and now he's going to be free from having to go and tell the Ninevites the bad news. And so the captain wakes him up and says, what are you doing? How can you sleep at a time like this? Everyone else is praying for help. I mean, I, I want to be loud and dramatic because that's what was going on. They're, I mean, the wind's going, the waves are crashing. Why don't you start praying, he asks. Maybe your God, little G, will take notice of us and will not perish. Two things you have to notice real quick. Jonah is supposed to be a holy, holy and caring prophet of God, but he doesn't seem to care about the people around him. In fact, the unsaved captain of the ship, he seems to care more about people than Jonah does. In verse 8, Jonah is asked the question, Who are you? Think about that for a minute. He's been on the ship while they left the port and while they're going before the storm hits, and they don't even know who Jonah is. Jonah couldn't be an effective witness while he was out of the will of God. He was in that moment. Now, in the bigger picture, yes, God's will. He had a plan. I understand that. But in that moment, he broke. He disobeyed. He went against God's will in those moments. Jonah couldn't be ineffective. In verse 10, Jonah's asked, why have you even done this? Why did you make this happen? He hid his identity and was called out. Listen, we're getting to the end. You've got to hear this. He hid his identity and he was called out by pagan sailors who were telling him, if you will, that you should know better as a man of God. What are you doing? Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you take action? And unfortunately, the same still happens today with Christians who are chameleons in this world and live like the world while believing all the right things about God but not trusting what He said or who He is. But that's not me. Maybe not. You can't hide. Well, then again, yes, you can when you're disobeying God. Because when you start disobeying God, you blend in more and more to those who don't obey God all along. You do. The other thing I want to mention is that Jonah is the only believer in the one true God in the boat. And get this. He's the only one who's not praying.
I'm talking to myself. So, and you guys know that. If there's one thing in the church today that is absolutely missing, it's prayer. There's no motivation for it. Nobody wants to come. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to cry out or, or, or seek God. When you look at history, when you look at the church when it was born, they were marked as a church that prayed regularly and fervently seeking God, that it wouldn't be them doing the work of the Lord, but it was the Holy Spirit doing God's work through and in them. And it was the great awakenings and revivals throughout history in this world, throughout all the continents, and even here on our own shores in the 1800s, where there was prayer that marked a church that was on fire for God, and people were coming to God and being saved, and righteousness and holiness was preached, and the people of God were different than the world, and they weren't chameleons, and they stood out, and the world knew that they could turn to the church for hope and security and safety. And we have shenanigans going on in the church today all around us that point and say they're not even the true church. We've got churches locally here that we've got to pray for, including our own. We've got to regain the spirit of prayer. And there are things going on in leadership, and I know, and I'm speaking openly because I don't care. It's the truth. Churches and leaders in local churches need to repent. And I'm talking to myself as well. If you only knew, and you better not because you'd freak out. Some of the things that are going on, the politics that are being played in local churches at the destruction of souls and lives and families that have been faithful to churches. Man, I'm on a tangent, but I don't care. We cannot hide. We can't pretend anymore. The world, it's rough. The seas are rough. Things are getting crazy all around us and no one even knows that we're the ones that should be making a difference and, and, and intercede on behalf of them to God. And we're all along, we're like, well, we're comfortable. I got another paycheck from Biden. I'm good. I know all about God, and everything's going nuts. Excuse my liberty for taking that application and, and, and a parallel there, but it applies. And then there comes a point in time, people are like, you're a Christian? You mean you believe Jesus is the only way? Well, why didn't you tell us? You mean there is a way to be saved and gain eternal life? Well, you never told us that. Oh, man, I don't want to be in that situation. God, forgive me for those times that I've done that. There are a lot of people in religious circles today who can make a lot of noise for God. But they don't have any love for their fellow man and they don't want to obey God. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. I close with this. We know that God saved Jonah by sending the big fish. Jonah knew that he deserved to die and that's why he said, throw me in. I deserve it, and the sea will be calm. You see, even in this situation, even in Jonah's disobedience, God saves the sailors. How do I know that? There's a change from little G God to Lord, to Jehovah, to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And they cry out to him. The Bible says they feared the Lord. They made sacrifices to the Lord. How did they do that on that boat? But they did, and they made vows. It means they committed themselves to serve the Lord. And the sailors don't want to do it, but they throw Jonah overboard. And God assigns a fish to swallow Jonah. Listen, even when we run, God is still good. 
Even when we disobey, God still has a plan. He loves you too much to not do everything in His power, and He's got lots of it, to get you to go the right way again. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Stop running. It's better to stop running than be stopped by God. It's just easier. It's not as painful. In other words, do what God asks you to do and do, and do it with the whole heart. Do what you've been neglecting to do on purpose. And after all, Jesus said in John chapter 14.10, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in John 15, he gives us this hope and this joy in the midst of, even when we go through these times of disobedience and we run off, and, and, and you know what? We're not abiding. Because John 15 is about Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he says very simple things. This is what he says. Abide, produce, love, obey. You can read it for yourself. Stop running. Amen? Lord, take my many words. And only as you can, Holy Spirit, pierce my heart, our hearts, with the truth that as your people, you require obedience of us. That we might truly be an effective light in this dark world so that we can reflect your image properly and accurately to the end that souls are saved and you are glorified. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Stop running. Obey.